We're going to uh, continue our series. Actually, we're going to conclude our series today uh, that we've been doing from the book of First Thessalonians. The book of First Thessalonians. If you would like to turn to First Thessalonians chapter five, um, I'm going to begin speaking from verse twelve. First Thessalonians chapter five, uh, beginning at verse twelve, and we've we've been doing a series of messages through this book. And uh, the title of our series has been, Don't Be Left Behind. Okay, Don't Be Left Behind. And uh, today, as I thought about, man, your, your last sermon, what are you going to preach on? Uh, I, I am not in a heavy mood today, okay? Uh, so I'm not going to preach anything heavy. But I... When I was laying this series out and I knew this was going to be my final Sunday, I thought, you know, I can't really improve too much upon what Paul says here in writing to uh, the Thessalonians, his closing remarks in writing to them. My Bible calls it his final instructions, and that's what I've titled the message today, Final Instructions. Now, from verses 12 through the end of the chapter, Paul lays out 17 different exhortations or words of encouragement to challenge the Thessalonians to persevere and to go on in their growth and in their Christian walk. He gives them 17 different things. Don't worry, I'm not going to preach on all 17. Okay. I'm going to handpick a few just uh, for this particular day. And... Uh, just different ones in here that kind of has spoken to me about where we're at in our lives, where you're at in, in the life of the church. And uh, I want to begin in verse 12 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And as I say this, uh, Pastor Bob, would you come up here? What Paul starts with in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and his final instructions is the way that leaders are to be treated. Okay? And I think that's a great thing for me and my final instructions to you uh, as we think in terms of Pastor Bob. In just a little bit, actually becoming senior pastor. <laughs> That's been kind of a joke around here that he's always kind of been the senior pastor. But, uh, and when he officially becomes senior pastor, I guess I become unemployed. All right. <laughs> but verse 12 says this. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. First thing I would say is, respect Pastor Bob. Respect the position of the senior pastor and the, the shepherd here at this church. Respect him. And then in verse 13, it says, Hold them in the highest regard, in love because of their work. Hold him in the highest regard. He has already proven himself faithful at Harvester Missionary Church for five years, about five years now. And uh, Pastor Bob has done far more than what we have paid him to do here. 
And I think that's a tremendous challenge that Paul is giving. Hold Pastor Bob in respect and with highest regard in love. All right? And and then he goes on. Stay up here. No, no, stay up here. Stay up here. You're about about ready to... I'm going to let you go in just a second here. Live in peace with each other. Live in peace with each other. I believe that is the greatest gift you could give to Pastor Bob. Is if this congregation at Harvester Missionary Church can live in peace with each other. Before you go down, my friend. Before you go down, I want to have a word of prayer for you. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for Pastor Bob. Thank you, Father, for bringing him into my life. Thank you for bringing him to Harvester. He thought he was coming to Fort Wayne to teach at Taylor University, Fort Wayne, but you knew why he was really coming to Fort Wayne. Because we needed him here. And I pray, Father, that you will help this congregation to respect his leadership. Even at the times, Father, when they disagree with things that he does, and not everyone agrees on decisions that leaders make. Father, I pray that they will always respect him. I pray that they'll hold him up in highest honor, in love. That they will live in peace with each other. And I pray for Pastor Bob, I pray for Belinda, I pray for their marriage, Father, that it will not suffer because of the ministry. I pray that you'll give him good health, that you'll give him the strength he needs as for all the plates that are spinning right now and all the details and things that need to be wrapped up in the next few weeks because of Christmas. Father God, we pray for Pastor Bob today. Thank you so much for this dear brother. Thank you for the kindred spirit that he and I have enjoyed over the past five years, almost from day one, when we met at Love Church's banquet and sat across the table from one another there. Father, bless him in every way. In his sermons, Father, may you give him truly the word, your words to preach. And may your Holy Spirit anoint the word as it goes forward from this pulpit. Give him much fruit for his labors. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to skip over to verse 16. Verse 16. And in this verse, uh, verses 16, 17, and 18... Paul gives us three commands, and we know uh, from the tense of the Greek, this is a present tense, that these three things are supposed to be continuous action. That's what they, they mean, continuous action. And it's brought out pretty well in the New International Version. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. How many of you think those three verses are a great challenge? How many of you think those three verses raise the bar pretty high? 
I mean, they're tough. They're tough. After all, we would have no problem if the text read, Rejoice sometimes. Pray occasionally. Or give thanks when you feel like it. If that's what it said. But it doesn't say that. All of those things are continuous action. Be joyful. And it's the modifiers that get us. Be joyful always. Always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. In all circumstances. So I'm going to take those apart. Be joyful always. I love the definition of the word joy that Kay Warren, who is the wife of Rick Warren from Saddleback Community Church, in her book, Choose Joy, she gives this definition. It's the best definition for joy I've ever heard. Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right and the determined choice to praise God in all things. That's powerful. That's joy. Be joyful always. Have you made the choice to rejoice? It's a choice you make. You're as joyful today as you want to be. You really are. Because we make the choice to rejoice. And this joy, it works from the inside out. It's not an external thing. It, it works from the inside out. It does not depend on whether I have a job or a paycheck. It does not depend on my health or the state of my marriage. It does not depend on who is in the White House or whether my favorite sports team is doing well, or whether the stock market is doing well. This kind of joy works from the inside out, and it's not dependent upon that stuff. Be joyful always. Pray continually. And people are always wondering, how in the world can I pray all the time? How can I do that? It just simply means to be in an attitude of prayer. That's what it means. An attitude of prayer where you're sensing the presence of God in your life. And even the simple things of life, you see God there. Pray continually. Pray continually. And then he says, give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. And one of the reasons I chose to leave the Sunday before Thanksgiving is because Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday by far. And I wanted to leave at a time when people are thinking and thanking God this time of year. I also didn't want to rob Father Christmas, Pastor Bob Smith who believes that Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year, I, I didn't want to rob him of leading this church through the Christmas season this year. Because he liked Christmas as much as I like Thanksgiving. But I wanted to end on a, 
on giving thanks in all circumstances to God. My story at Harvester Church started in 1963. Think about that. I started here in 1963 as a, a little boy, four years old, carrot red, red hair, crew cut, fat. You look at my baby pictures, you seriously. Came through the children's classes downstairs. I remember when the fellowship hall was divided up and there were four rooms down there. There were different rooms in each of the corners and the little kids went in there, their classrooms. And uh, I started in the middler's class and then I moved over to the fellowship hall. I was a sunshine maker. As a group of kids back then, had our own song. And most of the lessons were done in flannel graph. We'd sing. And uh, I just look back on, man, what a heritage I had at Harvester Church. I think of a lot of the adults that had a key role in my life over the years. And some of those I've had the privilege to do their funerals. They're receiving their rewards in heaven. Did a lot of those for people that I loved and admired and were special to me growing up. Those were pretty hard times here, pretty hard times. 1994, I had resigned as youth pastor in Elkton, Michigan. Nancy and I moved back to Fort Wayne in 1994. And uh, I, I was brought on staff here in 1995 as uh, part-time youth pastor. And uh, that position would then go to full-time. And uh, so I've actually been on staff since 1995. And I feel this morning, I, I just feel so blessed. Sometimes I'm just overwhelmed at the goodness of God. And I started to think about number of things this week, my heritage, the great memories I have at Harvester. I mean, how many men get to return home and pastor their home church? How many men get that privilege? Not too many. The first secretary I ever worked with here at Harvester Church was my mom. I mean, really... How many men get to come back home, pastor their home church, and work with their mom? I've been so blessed. I've been so blessed. I think of many of the teens that I started out with here at Harvester. And thank you. A number of you have come back today from my, my youth group. You know, it's... You have to stay somewhere a while to see what I've seen. They came out of the youth group and I would attend their graduation ceremonies or I would attend their open house, graduation open houses. And then it seemed like not too long after that, they'd, they'd get married. And I'd be able to perform many of their weddings. Then it seemed like not too long after that, they would have babies. 
And I'd be able to perform their child dedications. And I was just thinking back this week of just as their lives progressed, I had the privilege of following those lives through to the real special moments in their lives and be a part of that. I've been so blessed, so blessed. I think of the 75th anniversary celebration we had here a few years ago when a lot of the old Harvester Church youth group that I was in came back and many of those young people took part in that weekend of of services and events. One of the real highlights of my 18 years here on staff was, was that. And I remember the dedication service for the community center and another one of the tremendous highlights of time here. Another one that I thought of this past week to give thanks to God for was what I have considered up to this point, and I think Nancy would agree with me, the the trip of a lifetime that Nancy and I took. And uh, we thank Joel and Judy DeSelm who led us on that trip and put a lot of time into that trip and taught us things. And uh, I think we had like four sessions where we had to learn so that we wouldn't embarrass ourselves when we got to the Holy Land and, and do all the things that were culturally wrong. And they, they taught us all this stuff. That trip to the Holy Land. 17 days of backpacking in the Holy Land. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think you could begin to imagine what that means to me. I did not come from a family that traveled a whole lot. In fact, we still don't. We're not big travelers. Never have been. I remember a time in my life where I thought it was a long trip to go visit my grandma and grandpa in Columbia City. I kid you not. That was a long trip for us. And I found out the Holy Land is just a little farther than Columbia City. <laughs> Giving thanks to God for His overwhelming goodness to me. But you know, as great as all those memories are, and... They're special. I sat down this week and I started to think about what is it from God's Word that I really give thanks for? From His Word. And I made a list. I'm going to keep this list because I want to, I want to bring this out every once in a while. This is what I wrote. I give thanks because God is sovereign. He is still in control. I give thanks that nothing happens by chance. I give thanks that God causes all things to work together for good for His children. I give thanks that hard times reveal our weakness. They break our pride and they show us our total need for God. I thank God that God has triumphed over sin and death through His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. That God uses the worst that happens to promote our spiritual growth. That God is faithful even when we are faithless. That God's promises are true. That evil will not reign forever. 
that heaven is real, that when we are weak, He is strong, that His grace is sufficient for every situation, that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all of our sin, that God delights to save sinners, that the Lord can soften the hardest heart, that there are no impossible cases with God, that even when we feel alone, we are never alone, that the Holy Spirit abides with us always, that God is faithful to finish His work that He started in us, That we are invited to come boldly to the throne of grace. And that weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. I give thanks to God for those things. Verse 25 says this, Brothers, pray for us. Brothers, pray for us. And Paul is requesting prayer there. Nancy and I, we request your prayers. Uh, I've been asked a number of times, so what happens now? What are you going to do now? Well, the truth of the matter is, I have not sent out any resumes up to this point. I have not pursued any jobs. I haven't done anything because... I did not want that to become a distraction from finishing strong at Harvester Missionary Church. I want to finish strong here. We'll start looking into that uh, in the not too distant future. But pray for us because um, I don't know what's ahead for me at this point. I don't know where I'm going to be, don't know what I'm going to be doing. But I know this, I, I, I want to be where God wants us to be. That's all that concerns me. I want to be doing what He wants us to do and be where He wants us to be. And I believe in time He will show us where that is. Pray for us. We obviously will continue to pray for you. Verse 28. This is my prayer for you today. As it was for Paul as he wrote those final words to the the church in Thessalonica. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And I want to close today. You know, as a pastor, you have a lot of choices as to the stuff you want to preach. Some are preaching the health and wealth gospel. Some are preaching the power of positive thinking. Some are preaching self-help sermons and every pastor has to, he'll be held accountable for what he preaches himself. I'm not their judge. That's just, some are preaching psychology, social activism. There's all kinds of stuff out there that you can preach. But my favorite thing to preach about is Jesus Christ. And no matter where I went in the Bible I would always try to make a beeline back to Jesus. 
I remember my brother Dan. I heard him preach one time, and I haven't heard him preach too much over the course of my ministry. We're kind of working the same days. Some think it's the only days we work, Sundays. But I remember hearing him a number of years ago. He said something that was just very, very profound. And I think it shows kind of where the church is, even though it was a few years ago. It kind of shows where the church is. It was back in the day where a lot of churches had Sunday evening services. Now that's kind of a thing that's fallen by the wayside. Not too many do the Sunday evening service anymore. But one of the problems that churches faced with the Sunday evening service was, what do you do with the Sunday evening service on Super Bowl Sunday? Are you just going to cancel the Sunday evening service for the Super Bowl? Or are you going to try to do something where you can compete with the Super Bowl? Which, by the way, that's always a losing thing, trying to compete with the Super Bowl. But he said this. He went to his congregation and he said this. He said, we will be having services tonight on Super Bowl Sunday. Because he says, I want you to understand something. There's not one man that will be playing on that field tonight that would die for you. And he said, enough said. And I thought about that. That put things into perspective. Folks, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Him. It's not about what I have done. It's not about what I've accomplished in 18 years. It's all about Him. And He says, if you lift me up, I'll draw all men to Myself. He's promised that. Lift me up before people. I'll draw men to Myself. I'll be like a magnet that draws people spiritually to Me when we preach Jesus. I want to read this. I, I read this to my class uh, that I teach at Fort Wayne School of Urban Ministries a couple weeks ago when we were dealing with uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. That great passage where Paul talks about, let this attitude be in you which was in Jesus Christ. And what does the attitude of Jesus look like? And I read this, and this is the way I closed that class. And this is the way I feel comfortable today closing my 18 years of ministry at Harvester Church. It's called the Incomparable Christ. The Incomparable Christ. 2,000 years ago, a man was born contrary to the laws of life. He lived in poverty and was reared in obscurity. He was the child of a peasant woman and worked in a carpenter's shop until he was 30. Then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never owned a home, never wrote a book, never held public office. He never went to college and never set foot in a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place where he was born. He possessed none of the usual traits that accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. In his infancy, he startled a king. In childhood, he puzzled doctors. In manhood, he ruled the course of nature. 
walked upon the billows as if on pavement and hushed the sea to sleep. He healed the multitudes without medicine and made no charge for his service. While still a young man, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed on a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for the only piece of property he had on earth, his coat. When he was dead, he was taken down and laid in a borrowed tomb. Twenty centuries have come and gone, and today he is the centerpiece of the human race and the leader of the column of progress. He never wrote a book, yet no library could hold all the books written about him. He never wrote a song, and yet he has furnished the theme for more songs than all the songwriters combined. He never founded a college, but all the schools put together cannot boast of having as many students as he has. He never marshaled an army nor drafted a soldier, nor fired a gun, and yet no leader ever had more volunteers who under his orders have made more rebels stack arms and surrender without a shot fired. He never practiced psychiatry, yet he has healed more broken hearts than all the doctors far and near. How great is his influence? All history is divided by his coming B.C. and A.D., The names of past leaders have long been forgotten. The great men of Greece and Rome are dusty names in the library of time. Scientists, philosophers, kings, generals, and theologians have come and gone, but the name of this man abounds more and more. Though time has spread 2,000 years between the people of this generation and the scene of his crucifixion, yet he still lives. Herod could not destroy him, and the grave could not hold him. Amen? He stands alone on the highest pinnacle of heavenly glory, proclaimed of God, acknowledged by angels, adored by saints, and feared by demons, as the living personal Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, the Savior of the world. This is the Christ of the Bible. This is the Jesus we worship. This is the true Christ of the Christian faith. This is the one in whom we have believed. He and He alone is our Lord and Savior. Millions of Christians unite in worshiping Him in every nation on every continent. He and He alone is the Lord. Oh, that our hearts would sing His praise. God hasten the day until every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Amen.